Good evening, ghouls and ghoulettes, and welcome to Killer Horror Critic, the podcast worth dying for. Hosted by the Killer Horror Critic himself, this is the show where guests from all over the horror spectrum join to talk about some of their favorite horror films. So get snugged under the covers, grab a cuddly puppy, and prepare for tonight's blood-curdling episode of Killer Horror Critic. Good evening, horror fans, and welcome to another episode of Killer Horror Critic. I'm your host, Matt. And I'm Chris. And this is the podcast where my wife and I discuss horror films like a couple of drunks at the bar. So maybe you never learn anything, but hopefully you have a good time listening. So uh, tonight we are going to be continuing our discussion of the end of the world as we (laughs) know it themes, which... Is feeling more and more accurate. (laughs) At this point is feeling more... uh, yeah, like maybe shouldn't have done this yeah. thing this month, uh, or or you know, in another sense, maybe it's the perfect time to talk yeah. about it. Um, but we are continuing that theme tonight with the 1988 flick "Hell Comes to Frogtown," uh, which I cannot wait to dig into. Before we do that, I, I do want to preface this episode with, you know, we're gonna get a little political in this one, yeah. and. <laughs> And I, I know some of you don't like politics and all that, but you know what? After what happened last week, uh, there are some things to talk about. Yep. And and they happen to fit in pretty well with Hell Comes to Frogtown and the other films we're talking about this month. So so that's going to happen. So I just want to <laughs> warn you <laughs> that that is going to be the case. But before we get into all of that, uh, we do have our usual releases for the week. So... For this week, and these will all be out by the time you're listening, uh, there is Climate of the Hunter, which will be on VOD by the time this is out. This one is a extremely strange uh, vampire film about this old friend who visits uh, two of his lady friends at, at their home in the middle of the woods. And it's really hard to describe it beyond that without spoiling anything. Uh, so I will just say that, you know, this was reviewed by our writer at KillerHorrorCritic.com, Patrick Brennan, who you can follow on Twitter at PBrennan87, and Brennan is B-R-E-N-N-A-N. But he basically says that this movie skewers ideas of patriarchy and toxic masculinity and all that kind of stuff, and, and I agree it does. It's a very interesting film. Pat liked this one a lot more than I did. Uh, it's... It was a little, uh, I've only seen it once, so maybe I need a second viewing, but on first viewing, it was a little too bizarre for me, but but it is a really interesting, kind of trippy, definitely unique and different vampire film, so if that sounds good to you, highly recommend checking that one out. It will satisfy those desires. <laughs> Damn, my interest is peaked. Yeah, and also check out Pat's review, please. I think you'll really enjoy it. Uh, we also have Hunted, which is coming to Shudder by the time you're listening to this. And this one's kind of like a play on Little Red Riding Hood about this woman who, uh, as far as I understand it, gets uh, lost in the woods or something and has a uh, male villain that's tracking her and trying to kill her, and she fights back. And uh, this is another one that sounded pretty badass. Uh, it's reviewed by our assistant editor, Caitlin Nelson. 
Uh, you can follow on Twitter at 24th underscore doctor and 24th is 24th. And you can find her review on killerhorrorcritic.com as well. But but this is one that she seemed to enjoy. I, I've heard a lot of good things about it. And it certainly yeah. looks interesting. Plus, you know, anytime there's a play on Little Red Riding Hood, I'm all down for that. So. Yeah, I'm definitely <laughs> for that. And I trust Caitlin's opinion on, on movies. Yeah, no, Ka- Caitlin's an excellent writer. Always <laughs> has uh, good taste and opinions with these. So definitely check that out. And lastly... There's a film called Bloody Hell, which will be coming to VOD by the time you're listening to this. Uh, this is reviewed by Danny Vanderstock on KillerHorrorCritic.com. You can follow Danny at B underscore Roll Banshee. And Bloody Hell, as far as I understand it, is basically about a uh, criminal who, while trying to escape after robbing a bank or something, I think, um, ends up at this house where... This is, seems like another kind of fairy tale inspired film where it kind of sounds like it plays a little bit like the the Three Bears or what the hell is that story called? Uh, Goldilocks and the Three Bears. <laughs> yes, Goldilocks and the Three Bears, uh, where this person just arrives at this house and discovers that you know there are maybe not human things living there. <laughs> uh, the trailer looks amazing. Definitely recommend checking that out and reading Danny's review if you can. Uh, but Danny seemed to really enjoy it, and I was blown away by the trailer. It kind of hints at some sort of monsters. My fingers are crossed for werewolves, but I don't know <laughs> if that'll be the case. Your fingers are always <laughs> crossed for werewolves. They're always crossed for werewolves. But uh, but anyway, yeah, so definitely check those out. Uh, really good week for releases. You know, January is typically kind of a deader month, but this week alone has some great stuff coming out. So hopefully that'll... Keep you entertained and distracted <laughs> this weekend for what I expect to be another very long week. Um, yep. <laughs> uh, so uh, so now getting into Hell Comes to Frogtown, uh, this is spoiler-free stuff, so we will be doing a little bit of spoiler-free content, and then uh, we're going to spoil the crap out of the movie for you, and we'll let you know when that's about to happen. But uh, this is a film that was directed by Donald G. Jackson, who actually conceived the film as a franchise, and... <laughs> And, you know, I, I've i never seen these, and now I'm really interested to do so. Like, I didn't actually discover Hell... I didn't actually see Hell Comes to Frogtown for the first time until, like, a couple years ago, maybe. Uh, just kind of always having to slip me by, you know, that happens with some movies. And, you know, I've discovered that there is a Frogtown 2 and a film called Toad Warrior, uh, both of which <laughs> Jackson directed. And Toad Warrior is not necessarily supposed to be a direct sequel but it's definitely the same universe it feels like (laughs) but yeah and frogtown 2 uh stars robert zadar who i don't know if any of you are familiar with that he played maniac or he played he played the uh killer cop and maniac cop so (laughs) so he's got a bit of a b-movie reputation for him but but yeah so jackson really liked his frog movies apparently and (laughs) so So he directed uh, two more, and then there's also, and it was also directed by R.J. Kaiser, uh, who one of his notable credits was he did the U.S. footage for Godzilla 1985. But the film was written by Randall Franks, who also wrote Rollerblade, which Jackson directed as well. And that movie just sounds insane. I've never seen it, but it involves like rollerbladers and action-y nuns and like, like nun assassins or something i don't know it's i need a- to see this movie yesterday yeah it sounds insane uh i doubt it's very good but i don't care <laughs> that's another one you can seek out so we always like to do an audience reaction for these films we post a poll on twitter at killer from space kind of getting your reactions on the movie and what you think of it 
So between love it, it's fine, don't like it, and never seen it, where you think the audience falls for Hell Comes to Frogtown? <laughs> I feel like Hell Comes to Frogtown like has such a cult following that it's either going to be love it or haven't seen it. Um, and I'm going to go with love it for this one. Uh, so you'd be wrong in that case. So, ah. <laughs> uh, Hell Comes to Frogtown is actually a very split movie. 30.9% love it. 35.3% say it's fine. 5.9% don't like it, and 27.9% have never seen it. And honestly, none of that surprises no. me. You know, so I personally, I fall in the it's fine category. I really like a lot of things in Hell Comes to Frogtown. It's a very entertaining film. Uh, it's exactly the kind of goofy nonsense that I enjoy in my bad movies, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but there are a lot of questionable things in Hell Comes to Frogtown as well, yep. which kind of... <laughs> Which kind of, you know, lower my love of it just a bit. <laughs> uh, so so I'm not surprised that there's a split there. And then as far as never seen it, I mean, like I said, I didn't even see this movie for the first time until not all that long ago. Yeah. So it really doesn't surprise me that a lot of people maybe haven't seen it. No. Um, which it is streaming on Shudder. So check it out there if you never have, because we are going to spoil this movie. But as far as some of your comments go, and these are all from Twitter as well. Uh, at Dardar Finch says, Roddy Piper was one of my main influences. Roddy Piper stars in the film, by the way. Roddy Piper was one of my main influences to become a pro wrestler, and his wild performances in this and They Live solidified him as a great overall entertainer. While there are certainly some uncomfortable scenes here, the whole concept is wacky and you kind of get sucked in. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely my feeling. Like, look, this movie's wacky and fun and all that kind of stuff, and, and Roddy does a great job with this role. Like, mm. I fucking love all of his weird facial expressions and his over-the-top acting in a good way that works with this film. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, he is kind of super fun to watch, even if there are some, uh, yeah, some, some questionable <laughs> moments. Right, but you know, but but that is that's why I agree with Darder here as well, or, or Darwin, because Roddy Piper really does, I think, sell this movie as what it is. You know, yeah. like he, if you had like, let me put it this way: say you put Sean Connery <laughs> in, you know, rest of the soul. Say you put Sean Connery in Roddy Piper's role here. This would be a lot different. We've all we've all seen Sean's performance in the James Bond movies yeah. and how rapey James Bond is in those yep. films. And uh, and I just don't think that Hell Comes to Frogtown would have quite the following if you didn't have someone like Roddy kind of hamming it up the whole time and, and sort of easing he, the pain of the more uncomfortable situations. Yeah, he does kind of <laughs> ease it by making it so over the top that it makes it a little bit harder to take it as seriously. Right. Th there's a lot of charm to Roddy, you know, and, and I really appreciate uh, Darwin mentioning that, you know, Roddy was one of his influences to become a wrestler because... You know, I think I think Roddy is one of the good ones in in sort of representing that crowd, you know, of like first and foremost wrestlers are entertainers, you know. Yeah. So so whether or not you think it's all fake, I mean they're all they're still doing that stuff and it's impressive. Like wrestlers are very impressive actors and and athletes they work it, so fucking hard exactly you know so maybe not all of them transfer to film quite as well <laughs> and, and roddy as far as i understand it did need a bit of an acting coach <laughs> for hell comes apart yeah. times was his first big movie i think but you know between him the rock uh and, and others that have shown up like they goldberg who i really love in santa sleigh <laughs> you know they always kind of bring something fun to the roles because Wrestling is really all about hamming it up. Mm -hmm. So when you have when you have uh, wrestlers showing up in roles like this, 
you know, they always just bring a sense of fun to it. Yeah. That that for Hell Comes to Frogtown is just perfect for the movie. Like, I don't think they could have. I honestly don't think. I honestly don't know if they could have gotten someone better than Roddy to do this. I, I think he just fits the role wonderfully. Yeah, I don't think so. Just because, like, to be a wrestler, you need to be able to take a situation seriously and also have that little wink and a nod to the audience. That is such a fucking difficult thing to do. Right. So. So yeah, no. So good on Roddy, and thank you, Darren, for the question um, or for the comment. Uh, so next up is at Captain Cartoon Two, and they say, "Love it. The Rodman saved our asses again." I tells you what. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he he did. Yes. Yep. <laughs> yep. I, I think. <laughs> uh, I I agree, Captain. Great in this film. Uh, I also love him in They Live, and, and Roddy's another one that is. Passed away, I think he left us in 2015, but just, you know, yeah, between between this and They Live, I mean, I, I think Roddy had a lot to be proud of, because those, both of those movies and those performances are just great, so yes, I agree, saved our asses in that this is a super entertaining film, <laughs> <laughs> um, but thank you, Captain, for the comment, really appreciate it. Uh, next is at Miss Serling, and Serling is S-E-R-L-I-N-G. And they say, I bought this blind, and I got to say, I love it. Fun film, crazy concept, some solid acting by the leads. Love it. Yeah, I, you know, sometimes Matt, I watch all of our movies blind. Um, I generally don't. Not watch, all of them, but a lot of them. I watch a lot of them. <laughs> a lot of them are like Matt giving me like a one or two sentence synopsis sometimes. And so this one like was a really fun one to watch. Surprisingly fun, despite the fact that like, not a huge fan of some of the concepts in it, but a lot of the other things are so much fun that it kind of glosses over it, that. It, it's the rare film where, and, and I agree with Miss Sterling here as well, it's the rare film where, again, there there are some uncomfortable situations, but the the cheesiness and the campiness of the film just, for me, so much outshadow or overshadow those moments yep. that... That you don't forget that they're there, but it's easier to look past them than it would be in other films, yeah. I think. So, Plus, you know, the, the frogs are great. Well, the, far, the frogs are great, and, you know, we'll, we'll get more into them soon, but just while I'm thinking about it, uh, I, I don't know that this is true, but I read that the budget for the frogs is only like $12,000, which yeah. if that's the case, I mean, goddamn, did they do a great job with this. <laughs> yeah. Because th those frogs look fantastic. They look much better than you would think uh, they would for a low-budget film like this. So. Yeah, they did an amazing job. Yeah. Uh, back in the day when practical effects just always look good and never really aged, <laughs> <laughs> unlike fucking digital. Um, but all right, anyway, thank you, Ms. Sterling, for the comment. Really appreciate it. Uh, next is at M, probably going to pronounce this wrong, so I'm sorry, but at M Kirschenblatt. <laughs> and Kirschenblatt is, or so it's M K I R S H E N B L A T T. And they just say it amused the hell out of me. <laughs> Fuck yeah, it did. Uh, I think we both agree. Yeah. <laughs> Super amusing film. Uh, so thank you, M, for the comment. Appreciate it. Uh, and lastly, at Beernut1, which is a big supporter of ours, Seth. What's up, Seth? And he says, I do enjoy this film a lot. Fun acting, great fun effects, and a funny plot that makes rewatching a must. Yes. This is definitely a film that, like, if you end up liking it, it's so much fun to, like, rewatch and rewatch. It doesn't really lose any of that because, yeah, it's over the top. It's ridiculous. It's fun and wacky. And, right. Yeah. Uh, like, Chris and I have watched this three times in a row over the last few days, and every yep. time is just as fun as the last. You know, it's. <laughs> 
again, it's just such a it's such a weird film in that sense because you know there's a lot like I said that we're gonna get into that is maybe not done well <laughs> with the movie, but there's just so much that that is fun to explore in this film that's entertaining. It never takes itself seriously, which no. I think works greatly to its benefit. <laughs> so yeah, no, completely agreed. Thank you, Seth, for the comment. Appreciate it. Uh, and lastly, before we get into spoilers here, we like to do a tagline versus the film, kind of get our thoughts on the tagline and what we think of the movie overall. So the tagline for Hell Comes to Frogtown was, A new breed of enemy has taken over the world. Sam Hell has come to take it back. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I fucking love that tagline. That's pretty great. Uh, you think so? It's fun. It's ridiculous. It's over the top. Like, I feel like it really works for the movie. I think, like, you know, the enemy that they're referencing isn't 100% accurate, but we'll get into that once we do spoiler territory and everything like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I feel like it works for the movie. And look, this is this is a fun, ridiculous movie. I don't... You know, I I would love it if it weren't for some of the themes in this film. (laughs) But yeah, it's just, it's a super fun one to watch and having a ridiculous tagline like that works. Yeah, so I'm torn on the tagline because I I do like it as a tagline. You know, I think as a tagline, it works well. Yeah. I I, I will say this. Now, now people need to understand, you know, the the tagline for a movie is not, and most often really not conceived by the filmmakers. You know, this is something done by... The studio and people involved in advertising. So, so I'm not I'm not going to lay this tagline at the feet of the filmmakers and no. say that they got it wrong. <laughs> but I will say I think that that tagline's a bit tone deaf, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and we're we're going to get into why very shortly here uh, after the break. But I, I will just I will just say this I I I believe that. <laughs> I, I, I never like to blame the filmmakers for anything. I always believe the filmmakers have their hearts in the right place when they make movies. Yeah. But there are there are some things in this film, especially <laughs> regarding that tagline and who the actual enemy of this movie is, that I think maybe is not quite understood. <laughs> you know, like yeah. I, it's I, I think I you know what? Never mind. I, there's too much to get into that's going to spoil it, so I can't get into it now. But we'll, catch us after the break, and I, I will explain why that yeah. tagline doesn't work for me. We'll talk more <laughs> about the tagline once we can spoil things. Right. So, but but I would just end with saying again, very amusing film. I think amusing is a really good word for it. You know, it's you can't you can't watch this film and not at least crack a smile at these frogs. You know. Screaming things like "Dance for me," <laughs> you know, like it's <laughs> uh, the voice acting's just so great for these frogs. It's so goofy. Uh, Roddy's a blast, and uh, I mean, the whole thing's just so ridiculous that you know, it. it I, amusing is a great word yes. for it. It's a very amusing movie. <laughs> uh, so again, if you haven't seen it yet, it should be streaming on Shutter. You can check it out there. Uh, otherwise, we're about to spoil the crap out of it, so catch us after the break, and we will see you in a second for more Hell Comes to Frogtown. If you've been enjoying Killer Horror Critic, please make sure to head to iTunes and leave a review and rating, as this helps the show get noticed by others and would be a huge favor to me. Also make sure to check out my Patreon, where you can receive access to exclusive content, such as bonus questions for each episode, extra episodes, and more. To find out details, visit www.patreon.com slash killerhorrorcritic. Thank you so much for your support, and I hope you enjoy tonight's episode.
All right, and we're back talking about the 1988 film Hell Comes to Frogtown, directed by Donald G. Jackson. And again, we are about to spoil the crap out of this movie, so if you have not seen Hell Comes to Frogtown, it's streaming on Shudder. Highly recommend checking it out there if you can, because we are going to spoil it. You have so many spoilers. Well, and, you know, this month is all about, like, the the post-apocalyptic film. In um, last week's episode, Night of the Comet, we were talking about, like, the quintessential mall scene that we get. In this one, we also get another, like, quintessential post-apocalyptic moment with the finding of the Statue of Liberty. Like, why do you think we always see the Statue of Liberty, like, in disarray in post-apocalyptic films? Okay, so, so again, I'm going to warn you all, <laughs> this is about to get very political. <laughs> and, and I, you know, I just want to say, like, look, if you've been listening to us, you, you know where Chris yeah. and I lean on a lot of things. And, and this show is really... You know, at the heart of this show, it's really like we're having fun, but it's about analyzing these movies in a modern day setting and talking about, you know, what what maybe they get right, what they don't, what they get wrong, how they apply to our modern day living, you know, mm-hmm. and and in that comes some tough conversation. <laughs> and, you know, so, so I'm about to go off. So I just want to prepare you all for that. So the Statue of Liberty. Film-wise, you know, I think we see the Statue of Liberty in a lot of post-apocalypse films uh, because of what it represents, you know? So, like, look at Planet of the Apes. That's probably the most uh, iconic image of the Statue of Liberty in one of these types of films, right? You know, Charlton Heston discovers uh, the Statue of Liberty. Spoiler for Planet of the Apes. uh, (laughs) He discovers the Statue of Liberty and realizes he's been on Earth the whole time and that the humans blew it up and it resulted yeah. in these apes taking over and whatever, or, 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 or the apes blew it up either way. You know, it's, it's this defining awful moment of Heston realizing what humanity has done, Yeah, you know, because even if the apes blew it up, humanity created the apes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so I, you know why we and and the way we see it introduced in Hell Comes to Frogtown is it's this tiny little you know like like gift you know yeah. like a, a little little trinket yeah a little trinket that that we see in a forced perspective that makes it look huge at first you know and then it's dug out of the ground by this what what's referred to as a greener you know <laughs> these these frog people. Uh, and they find it, and then they're accosted by a human who, like, takes it from them, pushes them down, uh, says, this is bullshit, throws it away. And, you know, it's this moment that, like, I think is really easy to overlook, but to me what that moment's really about is this frog person looking at the Statue of Liberty as the symbol for what it means. You know, yeah. it's just supposed to be this symbol of freedom and and peace and you know rights like human rights you know yeah and and they look at that as like i want that like i think i think the frog people in this film look at that and think i wish that i wish i could have that you know yeah. and then you have this human come along who just seems to say no that's not for you yeah. and 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 frankly they don't even really seem to appreciate it themselves you know so so here's what i want to say <laughs> What happened at the Capitol last week, to me, is fits fits in very well with uh, with this moment in Hell Comes to Frogtown and the symbol of the Statue of Liberty. 
You know, so just really briefly, for those who don't know, the Statue of Liberty was a gift from France uh, given to us in the late 1800s, and it, it was essentially to represent the U.S.'s Declaration of Independence. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the Statue of Liberty, you know, I, I believe there's a reference to that independence in the day that we declared it. There's also, you know, the, the statue also wears uh, broken shackles at her feet, which are supposed to represent the abolishment of slavery. She was placed where she was in New York or where she is in New York to, to greet immigrants coming to this country as a symbol of the freedom that those very same immigrants were seeking and wanted to find in America. Yeah. And for the longest time, America has been that symbol of freedom. It's been that symbol of acceptance. It's been that symbol of defeat of evil. You know, slavery was evil, you know, and that, and that is what that symbol is supposed to represent. And I got to tell you, when I was sitting there watching live what happened at the Capitol, it felt like a good chunk of America had forgotten what the Statue of Liberty means. Yes. And had forgotten their values as Americans. And so I just want to put this out there. I do not like to judge people for their politics. I don't, you know, like if you supported Bush, whatever, that's fine. You know, I disagree with you on a lot of things, but that's fine. I think that, I think, personally, I think political discussion is valuable. I think we should have differing ideas. I think we should have uh, concepts that clash because to me, a free society is exactly that. You have your ideas, you clash about them, you debate about them, and you try to find a better way forward for your country. That's what it's all about. You know, if we don't have disagreement, then it's just one side dictating what we do. And, you know, I, I personally think you need that. So I don't like to judge having political views. And throughout the entire Trump era, I've tried <laughs> to to let others slide and their support of Trump. You know, I've tried, I, I've been appalled by it. And, and, and if you were one of those, like, you know, I, I, I haven't agreed on much of what Trump supporters have said or done or thought, but throughout this entire time, I've tried to at least respect them as people with their own set of beliefs who have been led in the wrong direction. You know, whether it's through Trump or media or whatever. And after what I saw in that Capitol, to me, there is no more pass. There is no more. There is no more call for unity. I've been trying to call for unity with these people for years. And through years, what we've gotten from the members of the GOP party has been. Fuck your feelings. (laughs) I mean, there are literally Trump T-shirts that say, fuck your feelings. (laughs) And and now they want to call for unity after what Trump did. Because they're going to face consequences for their actions. Exactly. And you always seem to find that. You know, yep. it's always Republicans calling for unity after they do something terrible, right? Yep. So, so I'm just going to say this flatly. If you still support Trump and you support the terrorist attack that happened at the Capitol, 
you can go ahead and unsubscribe from us. Yep. You can go ahead and unfollow us. You can go ahead and unsubscribe from Patreon, which I don't believe any of our patrons <laughs> are, are Trump supporters. But if you are, you can go ahead and unsubscribe because we are not the podcast for you. Nope. And we do not support you. No. So no. <laughs> there, there is a difference between having healthy arguments about policy and what politics actually are and human rights. No. And that's the thing is the people who support Trump, they do not support America. They are not patriotic. They are terrorists at this point. They are terrorists right. who do not believe in freedom and liberty for all. And that's what the Statue of yeah. Liberty is. That's what the Statue of Liberty is. That's what the Capitol represents. The Capitol is supposed to represent our democracy. Yep. You know, so so having these people attack that and attack capitals throughout the states, that's an attack on democracy. Yeah. That is that is not that is not a peaceful protest. No. That is not a that is nothing like the Black Lives Matters protests nope. where people have just been marching the streets trying to make a point for their cause. Yeah. This was terrorism. This was a slap in the face of everything democracy stands for. And it's going to get worse. And it's why we're talking about it here, you know, because we have a platform to talk to you all and to, you know, to talk, basically to talk to anyone who's willing to listen. And I am not going to sit by like other platforms do and not say something. Yeah. <laughs> so, Look, we really don't want to be digging Statue of Liberties out of the fucking sand. So well, we, we have to step up. Like, this is how this shit starts. If we right. don't. If we don't stomp it down, if we don't make it clear that there is not like, look, freedom of speech says that you can say shit, but it does not protect you from consequences. Right. I cannot I cannot walk into my place of work and start screaming fuck you to everybody and not be fired. It's my right to yep. go in and do that, but then I have to face the consequences. Yeah, which, and that is the thing that people on the conservative side seem to forget about freedom of speech every single fucking time. Yep. You know, it is not a right <laughs> to say whatever hate speech you want and face zero consequences. That is not how the world works. Nope. That is not how America works, and it has never worked that way. Yeah. And if you want an example of that, just go ahead and look all the way back to the Civil War and how our freedom of speech had consequences then, too. Yep. You know, so, so all of that being said, now let's get back to the movie <laughs> <laughs> and talk about why we're talking about that. Who? Because, you know, Hell Comes to Frogtown, it opens with a dismissal of that very idea yep. of what the Statue of Liberty represents. And it opens with this monologue of, you know, talking about how <laughs> world leaders uh, thought that, you know, they could bring peace through nuclear war. You know, I, I think it's, I don't remember the exact words, but it's something like, after a few bombs, they hoped for peace, and then it turned out that it oh. wasn't going to work that way. <laughs> no, what it, what it is is that opener is you have a female narrator saying that everybody thought that nuclear war was going to be both sides dropping a couple of bombs and then coming together. Right. And that's not what happened. They decimated everything over the course of, like, 10 days. And it's just right. like, yeah, yeah, that 100% so, seems accurate. <laughs> so, so let me ask you, you know, why... <laughs> What are your, what are your thoughts on even the concept of that? On the concept of humans thinking that, you know, oh, just be a few bombs and then we're good. <laughs> I mean, there's such a fucking like desensitive notion to that. Like, yeah. oh, well, just a couple of bombs that kills millions of people. Like, oh, it's just a couple of atomic bombs. Like, fuck you, 
Fuck right. you and your like disregard for human life. Well, uh, you know, it seems that, and this is what I was getting at with the tagline is, you know, the real enemy in this movie is not the frog people. It's no. the government. Yeah. Straight up. It always is. It's always the government. And the, re- and the reason here is, you know, that right there is the perfect example of how the government views your life and my life and Chris's life, you know. Yeah. It's that you are completely expendable. Yep. You're completely expendable for what they want. And, and even just going back to the Capitol thing, you know, five people have died from that. And you have Republicans that have the gall <laughs> to not only not accept responsibility for that right but to call for unity as if they never did anything to incite it yeah, you know fuck you guys and, that, and that's just how it always seems to work like all these post-populist movies you know they always kind of come down to something like that is the government is in some way involved in just fucking everything up for us because power is a thing that human beings just seem incapable of handling when they get it they do not <laughs> handle it well like it always corrupts Right. It's like it's like the kid, you know, if you have like <laughs> I'm just imagining like a circle of kids and one of them is given a toy, right? Mm-hmm. And then that kid just rises up like, fuck you, motherfuckers, <laughs> I have the toy now and then they just like, you know, run away and don't want to share with anybody. And that yeah. that that to me is what power is in, in the entire world. Not just America, but in the entire world. It's just somebody standing up and be like, Ha ha, fuck you, now I can do whatever I want. <laughs> There's a small part of me that like I feel like 90% of the people who get into, like, politics and positions of power should not be given that power. They're doing it. Of course not. Yeah, they're doing it because they want to control other people's lives. And I'm like, fuck you, motherfucker. Well, well, look at what America did. We we gave a game show host the nuclear codes. (laughs) You know, we gave a, I mean, I I want people to really sit back and think about that. We gave a game show host. Yeah. The host of a game show. Not, not the even, codes to nuclear weapons. Not even game show. <laughs> game show hosts at least have to try. He's a reality star, which means or I'm he, sorry, yes, yeah, reality he need, star. He needs absolutely no talent, no know-how. We, like this we, is a fucker hired, who can't keep a business running. We hired a man who was popular for saying you're fired <laughs> and gave him the nuclear codes. Anyway, yep. I don't want to get too bogged down in that, but but the point of it is, yeah, no, th- this opening monologue to to the hell comes to Frog Town, like it's goofy in the sense because it's like. You know, we all laugh and like, how could you possibly think that you could drop a couple nuclear bombs and then we're just fine after that? Yeah. You know? Not only is it goofy in that sense, but it's also just like, you know, something about that's horrifying, too, of like, I really think that's how people in government think. Yes. You know, and we've seen the example no. of that when we dropped bombs in 1944 or five or whatever. And, yeah. and we were like, yeah, so just these two. And now we're all good. Right. <laughs> like, And instead, what we did is just, you know, introduce nuclear war to the entire world. And now that's all we've had to worry about for a century. (laughs) (laughs) But look, so getting more into the movie, you know, again, this film stars Roddy Piper is our hero, Sam Hell. uh, And he's paired up with uh, Sandal Bergman, who plays Spangle. And they're roaming around with Sekverl as Scintilla. A lot of these names are really difficult to pronounce. (laughs) Um, Uh, so we got we got a lot of really interesting eccentric characters in this movie. So who do you want to talk about in Hail Comes to Frogtown? <laughs> I need to talk about my gorgeous, amazing queen, which is Arabella, who is the frog handmaiden to the harem, um, uh-huh. who's played by Christy Somers. Um, because she's fucking amazing. Like, look, the frog makeup, the mask, everything like that are so well done. And like for having this huge fucking frog mask. 
Arabella is so fucking expressive in it. And she's like this amazing, classy, like awesome dancer. And look, I'm going to be honest. Anytime a movie tells me, oh, this girl is ugly. Like Sam shouldn't want to have sex with her. Like she's a frog person. I'm like, that's my fucking love of my life. She is my queen and I would die for her. And fuck you movie telling her that Sam will only fuck her if there's a bag over her head. <laughs> I will take her and protect her. Well, she is mine now. All right. Well, as far as the bag over the head go- thing goes, I mean, look, that that's one of the many kind of insensitive things yep. about the movie, right? And look, you know, if you're watching a movie called Hell Comes to Frogtown... I, I, and you know the plot of this film, which is basically, which I forgot to mention, you know, the plot of <laughs> Hell Comes to Frogtown is basically Roddy Piper has been kidnapped by the government and forced to sign a contract that is basically ordering him to sleep with fertile women to rebuild the human race. Like every boy you know? <laughs> wouldn't want that contract. Well, Sam doesn't initially. I, and I do have something to say about that. But uh, but look, you you read all that and it, it would be it would be futile to expect anything less than a movie that's a bit insensitive right yeah. so like you don't you don't go in the hell comes the frog town being offended by the fact that there are insensitive things here <laughs> like there are you have to know that going in right yeah. so uh so i'm not i'm not gonna rag on the movie too much for being insensitive but i will say yeah that's that's one of the examples you know because i remember i mean and this is the thing that carried over for decades you know i don't know how long the the bag over the head thing's been around but this is something that I never heard from women growing up and always heard from the dudes I was friends with, right? You know, where it's like you always make jokes growing up about like, oh, yeah, just put a bag over her head and the body's great. You know, like it's <laughs> like that's the thing that was a common thing that my friends or I would, you know, maybe say in elementary school. Well, maybe not elementary school, but like middle school. <laughs> what are you talking about fucking in elementary school? Well, that's why I'm school. saying maybe not elementary school, but middle school, you know, middle school, I heard that a lot, right? Yeah. And, and it's the thing you never hear out of women's mouths. And, you know, and we had worse ones, too. Like, I remember I remember there was one, uh, but her face. So, like, but her face, but it's but her face. You know, everything's good, but her face. Like, that <laughs> awful, awful <laughs> ways that we've talked about and treated women. And, and that's one of the things in this movie that definitely maybe rubs you a bit the wrong way. Now, it's done in a context that that is supposed to be funny. Like, we're supposed to... We're supposed to look at this and go, oh, yeah, she's a frog person. Of course you put a bag over her head. She's but- fucking gorgeous, and I will fight you on that. All right. I- I'm still going to stand by. I would not fuck Sam- the frog person. Sam but- should be so lucky. I mean, Sam's got every woman on the planet coming after him. I think he – look, I will just say <laughs> – Sam's a coward. It's, it's a weird conversation <laughs> because I I would not want to sleep with the frog woman, you know? Like, that's not my taste. <laughs> But I also I also just don't like the concept of like, oh, she's hideous and throw a bag over her head, you know, because that's insulting to the frog woman. Yeah, because <laughs> like that's that. basically <laughs> just like, OK, I don't really want it. Like, I'll still fuck you. I just don't want to see and, your face. And that, and that's the point, right? Is like now. Now, look, I don't think that's actually Sam's intention because he puts the bag over her head to get and then, away. Yeah, and then he runs. <laughs> but but in most cases, yeah, the very thought of like putting a bag over someone's head so you can fuck them and not be disgusted by it. Is like, uh, there's just all kinds of things that are wrong about that, yeah. right? But look, so, but, but with what you said, yeah, no, that character's great. She, she's kind of like the life of the movie for a little bit in those few scenes that she's in. Yeah, and- she, she's so spunky. She's got so much personality. Like, look, Spangle is an okay character, but I really don't like Sp- I don't, I don't really care for Spangle, yeah, to I be really, honest. <laughs> like, that's the thing is, like, for me, um, 
is it Centella? Sentinella. Sentinella. For me, like, Sentinella and Arabella, our side characters, have much more personality, much more interesting dynamics, and I'm more curious about them than, like, fucking Spangle. I don't give a shit about her. Spangle is, look, to me, easily the least interesting character in this film. And, And, you know, it's not, to me, it's not because of Sandal's performance. It's because Spangle suffers a character trope that that is just way too often found in these movies and look again it's it's foolish to retroactively try to correct the past you know it was the 80s people either didn't know any better or didn't care we feel differently now you know so you can't always hold it against it but but she does suffer a trope that is just unfair to the character where we're really the the problem is they're trying to make her a a a love interest for Sam. Yeah. And the problem with that is is Sam's whole mission is to, you know, fuck everyone. Fuck, fuck every woman <laughs> on two legs, right? That's his whole mission, and it's really tough to to build a a a loving relationship between him and Spangle while she is introducing him to a roofied woman to fuck right so like i fucking hate that scene and and we're gonna get into that in a moment but this brings me this brings me to sam who i want to talk about yeah uh and and the reason i want to talk about sam is you know sam is uh, a bit of a gray character here as well where it's just it's really difficult to know exactly what the filmmakers wanted to do I, i i think i get the concept of what they want sam to be I just don't know that it's pulled off uh-huh. uh, as well as it could be because I look at Sam and, you know, the things that I love about this character is that he's not treated. <laughs> I think you mentioned it earlier, like the concept of hell comes to Frogtown is like a teenage boy's wet dream, right? Yep. Or, or I shouldn't just say teenage boy, a- anyone interested in women's wet dream, right? <laughs> like, like y- this, this concept of, wait, so the government's going to pay me? Or, well, I don't know if they're paying him, but wait, so the government just wants me to fuck as many people as possible? Like, yep. uh, uh, okay, you know? They, like, they it's, will help you get pussy. Yeah, like me as a teenage boy, if I woke up and that was the world I lived in and the government was, you know, telling me that that was my job, I'd be like, all right, where yeah. are we get started, you know? Like, bring me the, bring me the women, you know? So, bring the wenches. Bring the wenches. Uh, you know, so I think, I think Sam is a respectable character in the sense that he does not really seem to want that. You know, mm-hmm. he, he, the, the first moment he's being told this is what the government wants of him. He's like, are you serious? You know, like he, he does not have that initial reaction that you might see in other films like this, where the yeah. guy would immediately be like, <laughs> and that, and the government's going to pay me to do that. You know, Let's like, do this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, so he's respectable in that sense. He, uh, I really appreciate that. There's the moment, when they are trying to get him to have sex with the roofied woman and he says, and, and he's trying to fight back against it. Right. He's like, yeah. he's like, well, and, and you know, Spangle's telling him like, what is there an issue? And he's like, well, I mean, you know, she's not really my type. Hey. He, like he's trying to come up with any excuse he can to not do it. Like she's not my type. Uh, I like to have a little romance, you know, yeah. like, like take him out to dinner, get to know him, you know, like that. That's the kind of stuff that I don't think is often uh, given to male characters to feel especially in the 80s, and like I said, yeah. especially like in the Bond films where Bond's just a rapey fuck, right? <laughs> yep. Uh, you know, so like, so that's nice to see. 
But then there's other things that are very questionable, <laughs> like the fact that our introduction to Sam is to find out that the daughter of some general is claiming that he raped her. Yep. And has now dropped the charge because she's pregnant. And yet we're supposed to kind of forget that the initial charge was he raped her. So, so my question then becomes, did Sam rape her? Is she just dropping it because she's pregnant? And it's this weird fucked up message of, of now, now she's happy because she's pregnant, even though she got raped. Like there's a lot of, Weird things about that opening scene. Yeah. <laughs> the thing for me with Sam is like honestly throughout this movie, I look at him I look at him kind of as an archetype before we got Brendan Fraser in the mummy. Because, mm-hmm. like, if you compare if you compare the two parents, because, dude, I will stand by that couple in The Mummy, like... Oh, they're one of the best couples in cinema. Yeah, they're fucking amazing. And, you know, that's a movie that's... Yeah, Fraser and Rachel Weisz are amazing. Yeah, it's together. a good example of how you take a nerdy female character that you're originally presenting, um, and this tough, macho, masculine dude with a secret soft side, and you make them a good pair. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're seeing in this film, is, like, Spangle's supposed to be, like, this awkward, nerdy girl. Which, it's a precursor to that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I feel like we are seeing with Sam, like, they do try to give him sensitive moments. He's the one who actually, like, cleans up the girl they fucking run down with a truck. <laughs> like, he's the one who, like, bathes her, and, like, the moment... The morning after, like, he's very tender with her and everything like that. So I do think that, like, I don't know if it was a writer or director's choice or if it was his choice to add this softer side to him. Mm. Um, but then, yeah, there's all these other, like, weird mo- juxtaposition moments. So so in researching this film, I, I got the impression that the original version was a lot more raunchy. Uh-huh. And, and it really was. Like, the, the dance of the three snakes that happens later... <laughs> Uh, Spangle was originally conceived to be totally nude during that. Uh, the jokes are a lot were a lot more raunchy, from what I understand. So I don't know whose decision it was to pull back on that a bit. Yeah. Um. But but good on whoever it was to make that decision because if the movie had gone more in that route, I think you would hear more complaints about this side of it, right? Yeah. Because because let you know because let's be honest, like the whole the whole concept of you know, I know this is 1988, and you're supposed to look at it as kind of a joke, right? And that's what it is, and I, I don't take it too seriously. It's a movie, you know, whatever. But but the whole concept of, you know, this man who's been given a mission to just essentially rape as many women as possible <laughs> is, uh, look, it would work if it was like, we need you, we need all your sperm. Like, if it was yeah. like the women, like, give us all your sperm. <laughs> But it's literally, uh, and, we're going to send you out into the field and just fuck whatever you find. And, and this is the odd thing about it is, like, you know, artificial insemination was not a new thing at this point. Like, yeah. artificial insemination, actually, I was doing research on it, has been around, like, more than 100 years. Of like it's it been, has. It's been around for a long time. And, you know, I don't I don't know exactly where we, at, where we were at scientifically with it in the 1980s, but it was very much a thing. And it was very much possible. Yeah. And so I get that there are nukes that have ruined everything, but I really doubt that the world forgot how to do artificial insemination when they can design a device that will blow up (laughs) Sam's dick dick if he runs too far away, right? (laughs) I do love that. I'm pretty sure there are scientists probably that still exist in this world that could do that. So so the very, you know, I, I, I think that it's extremely understandable 
anyone who is put off a little bit by some of these concepts in the film because watching watching someone like spangle you know this this strong female or, or this smart strong female or at least that's what she's supposed to be uh drugging another woman and then telling sam to rape her is a yeah. little bit like it, i can totally understand if any women watching that right now these I, days are like no fuck that <laughs> I, I kept yelling throughout that scene i'm very uncomfortable i do not like this this is bad yeah and again, like I, I just think it would be, it would have been so easy for the move for Sam to just be like, and he tries. So this is not against the Sam character, but it would have been so easy for the Sam character to be like, I'm not doing that, and then to just have Spangle be like, okay, we'll do it another way. Yeah, you know, like it's just <laughs> like my my whole big thing with it too is like it's a one two punch of like they run this girl down, she's dirty, her her clothes are torn, she's not communicating, and then both Spangle and Sam treat her like a dog. And then he fucks her. And then the next morning, she's pretty. She's articulate. She's thanking Sam for the <laughs> sex. Like, like I don't. Uh, the the weird message there is like, sex fixed her. Right? The, <laughs> this yeah. rape fixed her. You, this, know? <laughs> you just have to keep in mind, this is a male power fantasy movie. A hundred percent. And yeah. so, so you know, I, I, I do think that, look, I do think the writing in the Sam character shows that there is some sort of concept of, wanting to fight back against these ideas of you know or, or i i let me put it this way i think the heart was maybe in the right place but <laughs> in the context of the 1980s just not executed the way it not executed in a way that reads well now you yeah know? um but anyway so we gotta move on from that so you know kind of touching on all that what what do you think of the idea that women now run things in this hell comes to Frogtown universe and like how that's portrayed. I am. So the thing with me is like this movie says that the women are running everything, but the only thing that we really see them running is what, what is it called? Medcorp? Medtech. Medtech. And Medtech's, um, their logo is, um, their logo is making babies is our business, our only business. <laughs> like, and you've got the pink truck, you have the military song that's sung by women. Like, look, this this is not really women in power. This is not yeah. this is not really empowering so, to women. Like yeah. this is this is like it's it's a farce of what women in power would be like because they're only concerned with babies and motherhood. So so again, you know, this is another area where it's like I I, I, I think that and look, you know, I, I like to say I think I don't want to yeah. I don't want to just judge the filmmakers, but <laughs> I think the filmmakers, again, wanted to do something that was different and, and give women that strength back, you know, like because because again, in 1988, you know, the idea of. Uh, of a positive world where women run things was not really being seen in a lot of <laughs> cinema or or ever, stories, you know, or anywhere. ever really at that point. So, so I do genuinely believe that they were trying, but it's misguided, right? Because because yeah, the concept of reducing women down to our only mission is to make babies, maybe not great, you know. And, and look, I understand. I understand in the context of the story. Look, the the world's ended. I get it. 70% of the male population is gone. You need to reproduce. That's all fine. It's just, you know, maybe rethink logos like our, our mission is to 
is to make babies. Like, yeah. you know, that's, I, th- I think in 1988, even then, women were well beyond <laughs> that sort of thinking, you know? So. Yeah, it kind of, for me, is still reducing women down to this role of, like, they're caregivers, whereas mm. the dudes are, are needed for sex and everything like that. It's just like, right. no. And, and, nah. and, and it, moving beyond that, I, I will disagree with you and, like, you saying that the women don't actually seem like they're in charge of much. I I do believe in this world the women are running things. We only, yes. we only see two examples of where things are being run, which is Border Patrol and MedTech. So you're not really getting a very yeah. large concept of the world, right? I will give you that. Um, but, but, you know, yeah, some of the choices, too, are a little, like, you know, I, I this is another area where I can definitely see women being like hey that's not really very accurate you know <laughs> like uh like the whole pink car thing right so i get i again i get that it's trying to establish a more feminine world but i think the thing that we forget is just because you're a woman doesn't mean you love the color pink right? well and it's also a difference of how the color is used so let's look at this film's what? use of of pink versus uh-huh. legally blonde mm-hmm. where like that's a celebration of of women and what we can do whereas like this use of pink and femininity seems to like be keeping us in a box, kind of. Um, it's not using it's, pink as a like this is powerful because Sam still well, shits on it. Well, well, and he deserves to because it's an ugly fucking pink car. <laughs> well, it's an ugly pink car, but it's also like well, and look, this is going too far. This is going too far beyond. You know, this is, this gets to the point where it's like, okay, now I'm judging the movie too harshly and nitpicking. But I will say. A uh, pink car in the military, kind of a dumb fucking idea. Yeah, it's not a smart <laughs> tactical move. The reason that military vehicles are green is so that they blend into the environment right? so that you cannot see them as well from overhead or something like that. That's so, why they have to park where, like four miles away from Frogtown. Right, whereas a pink <laughs> beetle in the middle of the desert is pretty goddamn noticeable, you know? So, yeah. Like, so I mean, it, again, it's just it's all. I think it's all well intentioned, but just extremely misguided. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then and then yeah, I mean, the film as far as representation of women, I mean, it just there's so many tropes that it plays into that, you know, maybe were considered okay then, definitely not now. Uh, like I I I will forever hate this fucking trope. Of you take the glasses off and now they're beautiful and we get that with Stangle here. Look, you do that in a movie, I'm going to take your dick. That's just just going to happen. I just want to see a film where it's the opposite, where they put glasses on a woman to make her beautiful, right? Like, here's what I'm just going to say. Or not even make her beautiful, just put... Just put the, just respect the glasses. Stop fucking with her eyesight. Look, if some fucking like butchy hero tried to take my glasses to tell me that I was prettier, I can't see for shit. You're gonna get shot and probably by me. Yeah, Chris is losing her mind when he takes her glasses off because he doesn't even ask her like, "Can you no. see without these?" You know? No, you take my glasses. I can't I mean, see shit. I mean, I can see without my glasses, but Chris is blind as a bat. So. Yeah, we'll take your glasses. You can be the sexy trope. That's fine. Um, but. But uh, but yeah no so I hate that trope uh, <laughs> I, and I love that the one the one female frog in the entire film her role is reduced down to dancing for the other frogs <laughs> like okay hey she is but 
She can get it. She can fuck any frog she wants. I'm not demeaning she's, her she's sexuality. She's got a knife. She'll fucking fight you. I, She'll I, cut you. I am not demeaning her sexuality. I'm just pointing out the fact that even in a world <laughs> where we're believed to that women run everything, the one female frog is a stripper. You know, so it's like it's, she doesn't strip. She's a burlesque dancer. Fine, and I'm not. <laughs> I am not insulting that as a career. I think that anyone that does that is totally honorable and respectable. I'm Good. just saying, you know. Does the frog have to be a burlesque dancer? <laughs> like the one female frog that it seems in this entire fucking universe. She can't she can't be one of the henchmen. She can't be the leader of the frogs, right? <laughs> yeah, um, she's my amazing femme fatale. <laughs> okay, but talking about the frogs, like, look, we've the enemy that's portrayed both in the title and in the um in the tagline is pretty much setting up the greeners as our frog people as our villains um how do you actually think they're treated in the film awfully right so (laughs) so this goes back to what i was saying about the tagline finally i'm finally getting back to that uh so and this relates back to the statue of liberty thing too you know and the the opening of this movie this is where i'm just this is where i look at the movie and i'm just like what is your point like i really you know like what do you think the message is of this? Because, you know, the reason I was so put off by the tagline is the frog people are not the enemies in this movie. No. Or at least they shouldn't be, you know? No. Now, now granted, for a fun B movie, I get it. I get why the frogs are the enemy. That's fine. But let's give the frogs a little bit more morality. Let's give the frogs a little bit more understanding of why they are this way and we get little glimpses you know from some of our frogs you know talking about how the human race created them and then put them on these reservations like you definitely get a sense of anger towards humanity from the frogs and so we understand it a little bit uh i just would have maybe liked to have seen more or at least get the or at least get a clear sense of what the film wants to say about this because the thing is here, <laughs> there doesn't really seem to be a reconciliation between <laughs> Sam and the others of what humanity has done, right? Nope. They're, they're mad about the war. That's clear. Sam makes a comment about how uh, he didn't take everything seriously before, or, or used to take things seriously before they blew it all up. We get the sense that humanity fucked up through the open monologue and everything like that. But, I mean, I think what you really need to look at this film as is, look, this film is either directly or indirectly a commentary on how America has treated immigrants and indigenous people. Yep. Look what we did to Native Americans. We came to America and we're like, oh, this is your country? No, fuck yep. you. It's ours now. Here, here, we'll give you this little spot of land and you can enjoy that. And this is exactly what Hell Comes the Frog Town is about, right? Like, it's about how the government has just decided these mutants we created are different from us, so they have to go to this reservation and live there in this shithole drinking radioactive beer and shit, right? Uh, Meanwhile, we'll all continue to live our lives and rebuild without any acceptance of responsibility for what they've done. So... You know, so, I mean, at, at least, I guess, given the benefit that at least they didn't fucking kill all the frogs, but it certainly seems like they want to. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're not, the frogs are not allowed to have any weapons. Like, anybody who's familiar with American history, to see a group of people who are minoritized by 
you know, the country, shoved onto reservations they don't even want to live on, and are not allowed to have any kind of means of defending themselves against attacks from non-mutant people, like... Right. No, this it's, is really fucked up. They keep calling them greeners, which I'm pretty sure is a racist slur. It's just it's just one of these things where it's like once you start to think about once you start to think about these things that we see in films sometimes in context of real life, you know, it start it starts to be a little bit like, oh, I don't know about this, you know? Yeah. Just, like like if I'm just sitting there and I'm just watching this dumb movie about frog people, all of it's totally acceptable. Like, I'm not saying that the filmmakers did anything wrong here with how they do these things. Because to me, honestly, it's a, it's a pretty accurate portrayal of how humans would treat frog people, right? Absolutely. So so I'm, so I'm this is nothing against the filmmakers, but just in a context of the world that we live in, you know, this really is, to me, a reflection on what America has done in the past to immigrants and indigenous people here. You know, yep. like, and, and you see it all throughout the movie. Like, it's not just the fact that they put these people on reservations, which, I mean, straight up is a direct line commentary on what we did to Native Americans, right? Yep. But then they also have, like, these toad stomper patches, you know? Right! Which, to me, just remind me of, like, you know, there, it's not it's not necessarily a Nazi symbol, but it's, like, that same kind of hate symbol. It's of absolutely like, a hate symbol. Like, if any frog person sees that, they're going to be like, that person wants to kill me, you know? Yeah. Or, or doesn't believe that I should exist, you know? And then, and then, yeah, like, just everybody in the film seems to treat the frog people like they're less than. Chris made the comment of, you know, uh, Roddy seems pretty ready to sleep with most people, I guess, mm. um, <laughs> given the right environment. <laughs> <laughs> but when it comes to that frog lady, hell no. And yep. look, I will still stand by it. I would not fuck the frog lady either. That's fine. You're just but, a coward. Sure. But... <laughs> Uh, there's there's a natural disgust of the frog people that is prevalent all throughout the movie because yep. not just Roddy, you know, like like Spangles extremely disgusted by the frog king, which let's be fair, she should be. He has three dicks. He has three uh, dicks and he's making her dance. And he's making noise like, <laughs> like maybe not the most attractive frog in the universe, right? But uh, and then you also have their their partner um, who who just like. You know, gets kissed by the frog lady and Looney is like Tunes. all disgusted by it. Looney Tunes, right? And so, you know, so there's just there's just so much like mistreatment of the frog people that it just I cannot watch this without thinking about how Americans have treated Native Americans and how we've even treated immigrants. You know, like I any mean, God, minority. For, like for fuck's sake, just look at the past four years and how every minority in this country has been treated by fucking white douchebags, right? Like it's just I don't I don't <laughs> I I pray for the day that we're going to get back to what America stands for, which is acceptance of other cultures. That's supposed to be what America is. And we haven't been that for such a fucking long time or really ever. We haven't ever been that. We have never lived up to that (laughs) ideal. And it's about fucking time we do. We're disappointing Lady Liberty. We need to be better. Right, exactly. You know, and so, so look, if this episode has been about anything, it's been about... We need to get to what America actually fucking stands for. And and Hell Comes to Frogtown is just a great example of everything that we've done wrong and what we should strive to be, right? Yep. And and the only problem with it is that it still ends up treating the government and Sam like they're the heroes. Yep. And frankly, they're not. So. They are they they are not. Although I do love that the real like villain of the piece is the dude who wants to start another nuclear war because he fucking hates women. 
Right. So at least the movie does that. At least it creates kind of a greater villain, right? Which is this guy who wants to end humanity because women took over things. Which, yep. I mean, for God's sakes, you got get plenty of those fucking dudes these days now, too. Yep. I don't... I can't handle a woman being in charge. Fucking, fucking snowflake. <laughs> Goddamn snowflake. I fucking hate that term snowflake, too. I hate that the term I, snowflake exists for liberals for conservatives to use oh. and it's always fucking conservatives it, that are the most touchy snowflakey people every fucking person who uses the term snowflake derogatory is an actual snowflake you're the one right. who can't handle shit so don't come crying to me because you're a fucking fascist i mean they're, they're all fucking crying because their president can't spread hate speech on twitter anymore like grow up motherfucker like why don't you be worried about the shit that happened at the capitol and the people that fucking died there instead of whining about your fucking hate mongering president not being able to tweet bullshit to you. We can't and openly what? be and white. guess what? He's the fucking president of the United States. If he wants to have a fucking conversation with you, he has the fucking White House, which is the biggest megaphone on the planet. So don't give me your bullshit about restricting his free speech. Everybody's just sad because they can't be white supremacists on Maine anymore. And all of our listeners are just sad listening to this. Like, I just want to hear about Frogtown. <laughs> I'm sorry. When there's an insurrection, like, we've lived through a pandemic. We're not living through an insurrection. White yeah. supremacy's on the rise. Like, we're a few ways, we're a few years away from reenacting Nazi Germany. We're fucking scared. Yeah, it's fun times all. I mean, look, we're always going to try to make these conversations fun, but yep. there's some serious shit damn. going on, and we're going to point it out. So, yep. <laughs> anyway. Anywho. Uh, so we gotta wrap up here. So, who is your killer idiot of Hell Comes to Frogtown? Look, I fucking love him, but my killer idiot is Looney Tunes for fucking trying to fight the frog people with um with a flare gun. You don't even have a real firearm, Looney Tunes, and you're trying to hold back the frog people. I mean, the frog people don't really have to see much. They got guns. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, look, Looney Tunes. I feel sorry for both him yeah. and the frog lady because. The, both of them, to me, represent another part of the government, which which goes back to that expendability of these people are giving their lives for a government that doesn't get that, that shit has about basically them. betrayed humanity. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, it's just kind of sad. But anyway, my killer idiot is actually Sam Hill, <laughs> and <laughs> for agreeing the, to use his dick for government purposes. Actually, yes. <laughs> so <laughs> the reason the reason I say it is because. Uh, yeah, that scene with Sam being given all, you know, the contracts and everything, and he just signs it willingly. Um, if you're assigned, I mean, look, we're we're bad enough as humanity because we have no attention span. Nope. And when Twitter asks us to sign, you know, a document when we sign up, we don't even read it. We're just like, yeah, whatever. Yep. Which South Park did a great episode about where the kids sign up and they discover that by signing up for Twitter, they're now allowed to be used in like human centipede type experiments, you know, but that, but that just speaks to like how, how we are as a people, like we are so illiterate and incapable of having an attention span <laughs> that we will not even read a goddamn contract given to us <laughs> by the government, which is the most, which is the, the entity in the world that will most take advantage of you. And Sam just is like, Oh, whatever, you know? So he's my killer idiot because if the government offers you a contract, and in Sam's case, it looked like his contract is only a few pages, yep. you'll read that shit. <laughs> to be fair, he does already have a bomb strapped to his dick. He does, but you still read the contract. <laughs> <laughs> you still know exactly what your contract is, you know? Um, but so he's my idea. Plus, he's just kind of a bumbling buffoon the whole movie. I love yep. him, but he's a buffoon the whole movie. Yep. 
Uh, what about your killer death? What's your killer death in Hell Comes Frogtown? My killer death is when Bull, the like second in command frog, like gets skewered by Sam because that motherfucker killed my girl. He killed Arabella so that once he died, I was very happy. Even though I loved him, he like was the most dramatic bitch ever. Has a fucking eye patch, like just is swinging a chainsaw for a while, then runs out of gas. Like Be- best movie that features a frog with a chainsaw. Yeah, like I f- <laughs> are there multiple movies that feature a frog with a chainsaw? No, that's the joke. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, no, I I fucking love Bull. But since he took my girl from me, he he had to die. All right, that's fair. Uh, mine's gonna go to Commander Tony just because I love his. Luke Skywalker getting a hand cut off type death on the mountain ridge (laughs) and just screaming like a little bitch as he falls. (laughs) It's it's just a really cool stunt. Like I I like the way that they did it. And actually you'll appreciate this. Um, Again, I don't know if this is a hundred percent accurate, but in my research uh, it appears that that scene was actually shot where Kirk battles the Gorn in Star Trek. (laughs) A hundred percent appropriate. A hundred percent appropriate. No, don't, Oh. The two are practically the same. <laughs> I fucking love that. I love the Gorn so much. I've never seen that episode, but I stand the Gorn. Oh, the Gorn's great. Um, all right, lastly, what about your killer MVP? Uh, so that goes to Steve Wang, who made the frog masks, because they're fucking amazing. Mm. Like, even the ones that, like, he had a shoestring budget, so that's why a lot of them are, like, not as detailed. But Toadies, like, is so fucking amazing. It's so expressive, and it blinks and all this shit. Like, he just did such a great job on the masks, and I love the frog people so much in this movie. Like, mm. and they're so just, like, the big ones are so different. Like, you, you have fucking, I think his name is Leroy, who is just, like, a 19, character out of, like, 1940s movie with his little fez and his little, like, sunglasses. Like, yeah, no, it's great. I fucking love the frogs in this movie. No, he, he definitely deserves a lot of credit. Uh, the frogs are, like we were saying before, very memorable, very well done considering the budget of it. Whole reason um, to watch this movie. I mean, look, and you're right. The the makeup is very expressive, which is not an easy thing to do. Like, no. people need to understand, like, you know, a, a lot of times with makeup, that makeup was very stiff. You know, so, like, if you look back at old creature features, like take Creature from the Black Lagoon, for example... Those make you don't you're not allowed a lot of expression, you yeah. know, and uh, and these masks are really well made. Like your frog lady has a lot of great express. Like you can actually see everything that she's thinking through that mask, you know. Yeah, they were they were um, really smart. Where she still you can see her eyes, so she can communicate a lot with that. Like the actors really worked with what they were given to create these amazing characters. Yeah, so so no, definitely good call there. Um, mine's of course gonna go to Roddy Piper just because yeah. I. I really do believe that if this had been cast with someone who had less charm or or hammed it up less, we would be having a very different conversation about Hell Comes Frogtown. This movie would be a lot and, more rapey. And, yeah, and, and, and Roddy just does such a great job, you know, especially for, like, an early film role of his. Um, just such a great job of, like, capturing the audience, being endearing, uh, getting us through the moments that are maybe a little bit more unseaty or, or maybe a little bit more rapey. Uh, yeah, you know. So, <laughs> uh, so I, I think he owes a lot of credit for this movie being as entertaining as it is. Yeah. And yeah, and, and you know, I gotta admire anybody that uh, does a feature film role like this for their one of their first movies and frankly nails it. You know. So, yeah, he did great. Yeah. So so good on him. Good on Ronnie. <laughs> um. 
All right, so that's going to do it for us on Hell Comes to Frogtown. So, so we're going to be moving into our patron stuff in a moment where we're going to talk about what we think is going on in that harem scene in the film, <laughs> which is extremely Interesting. <laughs> uh, and we'll also talk about what our vision for uh, a more appropriate uh, female-driven equivalent of this film would be. <laughs> uh, so if you'd like to hear that, just go to patreon.com slash critic. For just a dollar a month, you get access to all of our additional bonus content. Uh, plus, we also have uh, weekly lists of recommendations for horror films there, voting for what we talk about each month, uh, bonus episodes. So if you'd like to support us, uh, please do so and go there. Every single penny goes back to our writers and helps us pay for, for their work on KillerHorrorCritic.com, as well as support for the podcast. So really appreciate it if you can support us that way. Otherwise, we just thank you so much for listening and sticking with us. And again, I, I'm not really going to apologize for getting political there earlier on. <laughs> but look, you know, again, we have this platform. We want to talk about things that matter. That are uh, important to us. Uh, that are important to us and, and try to have fun doing it and entertain <laughs> you all. We'll also, you know, having a conversation about things going on. So so hope, thank you for sticking with us <laughs> to this that. part of the episode <laughs> if you did. But anyway, next week we're going to be talking about 10 Cloverfield Lane, which I can't wait to get to because I fucking yeah. love that movie. Uh, and yeah, that's good too for us. Uh, so also, uh, shout out to our killer members on Patreon, uh, Ben Scouten, Michael Campbell, Martin Chetta, Seth Vermont, and Kelsey Lynn. Thank you so much for your support and for all you do for us. And, uh, yeah, just, you know, you're all listening to this on, on Fridays when it'll be out. And, you know, this week's going to be really fucking rocky. I can predict it. So I hope that this episode gets you through things a little bit. Yeah. I hope you're all doing well and, uh, Able you to know, stay safe through everything. Able to stay safe. And, and look, just, you know, mental health is so important. I hope that you're you're talking to people or, or finding people to talk to and just just do what you have to to make this time easier on yourself. You know, yeah. this is a time where we shouldn't be worried about how much we're getting done or, you know, how how active we are in our careers or just just take some time, take a breath relax do something that makes you happy <laughs> unless it's awful you know don't go murder people uh and just i i hope that you're finding ways to kind of de-stress a bit because it's very important right now so yeah <laughs> uh, but anyway thank you for listening we hope you all have a good weekend and we will see you next week for 10 cloverfield lane have a good night horror fans bye I hope you've enjoyed tonight's episode of Killer Horror Critic. If you'd like to scream with us some more, please subscribe on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Killer From Space, as well as Instagram at Killer underscore Horror underscore Critic. New episodes release every Friday, so keep your eyeballs peeled just the way I like them. Have a good night. Horror fans. <laughs> <laughs>